Hello and welcome to the Burlap Podcast. My name is Chris Fulmsby. I'm the president of Burlap, which means that I work with a fantastic group of people to help churches reach and engage millennials and Generation Z. We're helping churches all around North America and we're having a blast doing it. And I get to do it with people like my co-host on this podcast, Chris Abel. I have Chris Abel here with me. Chris, a couple of days ago, I was forwarded this article that has been out for about a year or so as I researched it. And uh, I went to this place called Recklessly Alive. Never been to that website before. Never seen the website before. This is not an endorsement of the website, nor is it a promotion. I just uh, thought this article was interesting, and I wanted to gauge you, Chris, being a millennial and obviously being in the community talking about uh, faith and uh, life with young adults all around our community. I wanted to test some of these things from an article called 12 Reasons Millennials Are Over Church. Had you seen this article? Yes, super positive. You know, wait, before we even get into the article, I think that says something about where I want this conversation to go. Because deconstruction is easy. Yeah. Right? So, like, that's the easiest part about, I think, embracing the concept of studying millennials is to feel like, well, this is what's wrong with the church. Well, that's easy, man. I mean, we can always do that. But, like, where are we constructing new maybe methods, messages, ways to positively impact Millennials. I mean, we were just talking about this, right? I mean, it's like, you know, the the idea of church is so foreign to people that whereas it used to be like antagonistic, you know, your your faith, and we were all trained in the apologetics to sort of convince people to like find Jesus in their life and all this. It's just not that way anymore. I think the church and maybe articles like this, 12 Reasons Millennials Are Over the Church, can help us think not just about what's wrong or why somebody's over it, but what would it be interesting to them? What would con- compel young adults to the church? So before we even get into any of these, just know my tone is not to rip on the church or to yeah. rip on millennials. It's just to use this as fodder for conversation to say, how realistic are these 12 reasons. We won't cover all 12 of them. We're going to talk about how nobody's listening to millennials, how millennials are sick about hearing about mission statements. We're going to talk about the poor and whether that's a priority for the church or not. We're going to talk about how the church, quote unquote, blames culture. We'll, we'll talk about a distrust and a misallocation of resources. Some people see that in the church. We talk about how millennials want to be mentored, not preached at. Uh, we also want to talk about some controversial issues, which I think are really important. Not that we necessarily will hammer out any of our, um, you know, responses to that necessarily, but but how millennials want to talk about controversial issues. And again, I keep saying millennials, but really emerging generations, yeah. young adults. Uh, and the fact that we're talking about them and it says this, quote unquote, stop talking about us unless you're actually going <laughs> to do something about it. So with that, let me let me just first of all, let you respond to my preface, which was, man, deconstruction is easy. Let's construct a new way forward. Do you have any thoughts on that before we get into the actual article? I think the reason people shared articles like this in the first place is either like they're in the church and they're frustrated and they feel like somebody's putting a voice to their frustrations, right? Like that's so nice when you finally feel like somebody gets what you're trying to say. So I think that's what motivates something like this to be shared. I, I don't even know. You saw it. You said it got shared on Facebook. Uh, somebody told me about this article actually this week after you told me you wanted to talk about it. Oh, really? I thought that was so funny. And uh, it's this a baby boomer woman who works in our church and she was just like, Chris, I read this article. 
12 things. Millennials are over with the church. And she's like, I can't stop thinking about it. And I think we're, we're just, we're missing the mark. There's so many places where we could step up our game. And, and I was, it was just really cool to hear her passion about it. But it put words to feelings that she had. So I think sometimes maybe, maybe it's deconstruction, but I think it's also naming for people that like kind of feeling like they know something's off, but they're not quite sure where, how, or why. And so I think that's kind of helpful. But, it, and just to be fair to this article, we're, we're not trying to, uh, you know, break down or criticize the article either. It, we think it's, they've got some great points. And the article has actually solutions here too, which yeah, is cool. So you yeah. should, we'll post it on Burlap somewhere and you can read it yourself. Yeah, I mean, some a lot of people probably have already even read it. I mean, it's yeah. been talked about, it's been shared, I don't know how many times, but it seems like it's gotten a little bit of traction. I don't want to say that it's gone viral or anything, but it's certainly got a little bit of traction. People are talking about it. They're coming up to us talking about it. I think that's a good thing. And and to your point, yes, this article did provide solutions uh, to the to the reasons millennials are over the church and ways the church can can respond to those. So, again, this isn't necessarily about this article so much mm-hmm. as it is the concepts the article are bringing forth. I do want to say that you you did mention something I think that is helpful because we are talking about this article. So obviously it had some worth. I'm grateful for this person, Sam, who wrote it and then Recklessly Alive and what Sam's trying to do to help churches. But I think one of the things you nailed was the articulation sometimes. It's like when you write something, I've written a bunch of books, you've written, published a lot of articles and things and published in, actually in one of my books. When someone says, I think the greatest compliment to your work can be when someone says, man, that's what I was thinking. You gave me the words to actually articulate it. And I think that's a compliment. And so the person who wrote this article should feel complimented by this, not that we're ripping on the article. Okay, enough said about that. Yeah. Let's get right into this. Number one on this list, again, there were 12. We're not going to cover them all for the sake of time, but also I think interest in sort of how I want to probe you in terms of how you feel about this. But as a young adult, as a millennial, Number one, nobody's listening to us. Do you feel like that's true? Because people are talking about millennials like more than ever before. Right. It's 75 million millennials in the U.S., largest workforce in the U.S., and they still feel like we're not listening to them. So, like, I go, man, like, how is that even possible? Do you feel that, that you're not being listened to and that your generation's not being listened to? Well, considering that we people we work with listen to this podcast occasionally. I'm going to just deflect a little bit <laughs> by just saying that, um, you know, one of the, one of the, the phenomenon that I think are, is really interesting to, to note here is that I work with a young adult ministry as part of a larger church. When I was doing research on how does, like, what are the successful young adult ministries out there? There are not many of them. However, if you look at successful young adult churches, you see tons of them. They're blowing up. You have somebody with a dream, with a passion, who gets you know five hundred bucks saved up and rents a place for a week and starts a church. You know, like they, I, they're doing it with very little resources. They're doing it in weird places. They're just they don't just need a space and they need some enthusiasm and they will start churches. There's denominations you can get signed up with. There's church planning networks. What you see is that young leaders aren't waiting to be listened to anymore. That they're just starting their own things, yeah. and so and that and you got to think that it's to to start a young adult ministry is to basically say what's the culture here, what do people want, what are the resources available to us, what's the what's what's it feel like, you know, how much freedom do we have, you know, it, is this church actually caring about young adults, or are they hiring someone to do like this add-on, versus 
a, a church plant is like you're all in all. Like you, you got to make it or break it. It's risky. You got to throw your yourself out there. But you create the culture. You create change. You don't have to worry about you know are they listening to me or are they willing to transform it. Like no, it's just whatever you want. Like it's basically what you said. It's the opposite of deconstruction. Just leaving the church. You see all these people who are just like, all right, you're not going to listen to us. We're just going to do our own thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I see that. I I resonate with that. I meet a lot of people all the time. Church planners that are that are generating, you know, their their churches. Their it starts with an idea and a passion, and then it bursts into the church. I think it's wonderful. I agree with you that it is happening. But let, put yourself in the shoes of the people that you're talking to in the community each and every week that maybe aren't a part of a faith community or a part of a church, right? So you may let's just say you meet somebody at a coffee shop, you get to talk in. Well, let me use an example from yesterday. Yesterday I was in downtown Kansas City for some meetings. I stopped at some uh, a Panera for just a quick email check-in and to get a little bit of work done. Met this guy named Caleb. We got to talk about faith. And Are you allowed to say people's real names on this? Um, Do you want to change it? I didn't say his last name. Nobody Caleb. knows who that Caleb's is. Caleb's the alter ego for Francisco. <laughs> so anyway, so, sorry, I'm getting off track. So topic. I'm sitting there and I'm just talking with this guy and I'm thinking, yeah, man, this is amazing. But put yourself in the shoes of the people you have conversations with, like Caleb. I can say that. And uh, and do you feel like people, generally speaking, are that that older generations are or are not listening to millennials? I'm going to deflect again. You can't, man. Come on. <laughs> hit it head on. Okay. Don't, don't All right. No, this is, it just, it, ha- it has me thinking about this because I feel like even if, even if the leaders of churches interacted with guys like Caleb and wanted to listen to them, the way that old school church works, that church functions work is leader to people. It's one way. It's classroom lecture style, right? So like sermons and the way that church works is what does the leader want and then how do the people follow it? Which I don't think is what Jesus had in mind and I don't think that's Christianity necessarily. That's just the archetype models that are used in a lot of churches today. And so guys like Caleb come in and they and you have a preacher who has to preach to 90-year-olds and 10-year-olds and everybody in between all these different life stages and then they feel like they don't get listened to. Well, sometimes... The Everyone preacher's focus. Like, maybe maybe, everybody maybe every like generational yeah. mindset feels like they're not being listened to. Is that your point? Yeah. Or it might be that if I mean it might be that when he comes to church, he goes to a church that uh, it's like for a lot of baby boomers. Well, I'm right? gonna interrupt and just say I think this is a huge thing because I feel like if you take the church out of it and you look at the generational mindset of a young adult, if they don't feel listened to then you're going to have a really hard time reaching and engaging them. And I think one of the best places to start is to listen. Mm-hmm. And it it shows a humility. It shows a posture of learning. It says this is all bigger than any one generation. And so even, even if we were to just say this isn't about church organizational structures or leaders or anything like that. This isn't about corporate. This is just about sitting down with a generation who feels like they're not being listened to. If that's true then very clearly the best thing we can do is sit with people <laughs> and listen to them. Yeah. And, you know, uh, share your story is a common way we say that. Listen to someone else's story. I, I mean, whatever phraseology we want to use, if someone feels like they're not being listened to, then they don't feel valued. If they don't feel valued, why would they have any interest in doing, participating, coming to whatever, anything that you're doing? I feel like it's kind of step one. So I don't know if it's true or not, because 
honestly, I don't feel this in my life, but I'm not a young adult. So I'm like, if this is true, generally speaking, of most young adults, then maybe the best thing we can do to move forward is to start listening, mm -hmm. ask questions, and just simply listen. I don't know. That's my take on it. So I think you have the, yeah, the church perspective of leadership and how that all works and multi-generations, intergenerations trying to get along, and everybody might feel that way. But just speaking about thinking about people outside the church, if that's true, we've got some work to do in listening to, to young adults. Let's move on. Yeah. Okay, here's one. We're sick of hearing about values and mission statements. What do you think about that one? I like the next sentence is, sweet Moses, people, give it a rest. <laughs> We're sick of hearing about values and mission statements. Um, I get where this one's coming from. Um, I feel like every church feels like if they just nail out that value and mission statement, that it'll like, solve all their problems. And I think it's like saying, if I own running shoes, I'll get in shape. Like running shoes are a tool to go running to then get in shape. A mission statement is, are your running shoes? You might need them, everybody's got a pair, it doesn't mean everybody's a runner, you know? The mission statement is just to say, the larger purpose is to run. The larger purpose is the point of a mission statement. It's like, do something, like what are you about? Why do you exist? Millennials are all about that. But the idea is, it's like if everybody's posting about walking around wearing their Nikes or whatever running shoe, and they're not actually runners, that feels like what a lot of churches do with mission statements. So like, you're saying it's a disconnect between what people say and yes, what they actually do. And so I think maybe so. maybe it isn't we're sick of hearing the values and mission statements as much as it is we're sick of hearing about values and mission statements that actually aren't any way a part of your life. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's an easy one. I think that's true. I mean, I think at the end of the day, value statements and mission statements and purpose and you know whatever we want to words we want to use to articulate that do help bring a, a commonality and a shared vision. But I do think it, there's a difference, right, between what we say and what we actually do, our behaviors. And so I think, uh, I think this isn't just about young adults. I think everybody says, you know what, enough already. Or sweet Moses, people, give it a sweet rest. Moses. Like, come on, man. Like, either do what you say you're going to do or don't say it. Right. And I just think that's an average kind of uh, thinking. And I think that that transcends generations is my point. I, th I have some analogies that have come to mind. and I've used this in the past and I I'm always wor worried it'll insult someone. So if it does, we can just, you know, if you think so, we can just cut this part of the podcast. But, um, you know, I think of it like some like a like a, a morbidly obese dietitian. Right. Like you're not sure you're going to take advice from them or like a lawyer who's um you know who who doesn't who doesn't know how to read, or a um, I'm, I'm thinking of another one, or like a, a you know an investment banker who's terrible with their personal finances. Like like you, you don't want yeah it has to match up. Like it's yeah. everybody knows it's yeah. weird when you have a profession, a calling, a purpose, and then you don't reflect it in your own life. Yeah, right. And yeah. this is and the church does the same thing. Yeah. That's why these things are so frustrating. It's yeah. like. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Helping the poor isn't a priority. Let me just speak to this real quick. This is, I have seen over the last several decades, and I've been doing church work, whether in nonprofits, aligning myself to help churches, or specifically being on staff at churches. I have been in doing this for a couple of decades now, and I have seen a dramatic increase in conversations around 
helping the poor. Um, maybe that's my own specific context. You know, maybe that's the, what I grew up in a context that never talked about it. And so now that I'm seeing it, I'm noticing it. Maybe if I would have grown up in a context that was already speaking about that uh, regularly and doing something about it, that it might actually not be such an increase to me, if that makes sense. But I feel like there's a lot of conversation about this. Um, maybe, though, the, the, the key word in this statement, helping the poor isn't a priority, is the word priority. Mm. Like maybe we talk about it, but it, we actually don't budget around it or we don't build for it or we don't strategize our ministry around it. And I feel like I'm at a church, the Church of Res- Resurrection in Leewood, Kansas, that is very, very committed to helping the poor. And this is a, a big priority for us. So I don't, I don't sense this to be a big factor because I'm living in it. I mean, I'm living in a, in a, in a, in a church world that gives a million and a half dollars away at Christmas Eve. You know, so I'm seeing, I'm seeing action. It isn't just about the money either, by the way. I mean, there's people who are yeah. donating countless amount of hours, representing probably tens of millions of dollars. In, 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 you know, labor, labor. Right. And thank you. And then, so I don't know, is this a priority for churches? I hope so. But do millennials, young adults feel that helping the poor isn't a priority for the church? Do you think they would say that they would look at the church yeah. and go, this isn't a priority? hundred percent. I think it goes back to that. Your life isn't a reflection of what you say it is. And if you go to the Bible, all right, let me start with this. Two weekends ago, I, uh, I didn't have any responsibilities on a Sunday morning, so I went around to all the cool churches in the area. There's a church plant that's been here a year. There's a, um, a, a, chain, a, a church chain, a franchise that's kind of come up, that's gotten a lot of attention. And then there's a church uh, in downtown Kansas City that's super hip with, I mean, it's got thousands of literally like 20-something young adults coming. And each of them had very similar music styles. They talked about Jesus in very similar ways. But they talked about why you should follow Jesus, but they didn't really talk about Jesus. And I found this in the, especially in like a lot of the churches that are popping up around the country, they're beginning a lot of popularity, that they they talk, they, they have a talk a lot about like subscribing to their tribe. Like this is what you should follow Jesus because this, this, and this, but then they don't spend a lot of time actually like talking about Jesus. Do you see the difference there? Uh, it's like, um, it's like me talking about running a lot, but then not running, using the example again. And I see that with this, too, is Jesus. I mean, if there's all these people talking about what Jesus said and didn't say. He talked a ton about serving people. Like, that's that's the core of Christianity. There's a huge part of it. It's not just your belief. It's how it impacts the world you live in and how you interact with people. And people can read the Bible for 30 seconds and see that about Jesus and see the disharmony that we have with the local church. You know, each of these churches, they might... They might have done service projects or whatever, but I saw way more go into a light show, way more go into their you know marketing, way more go into their graphics than anything that they were doing to serve uh, serve the people. Let me say that. Let me let me bring a different perspective and see if see if it has any weight to it. Um, I already mentioned that I'm seeing an increase in people talking about ways to serve the poor, which I think is great. Now you still got to go do it, right? Talking about it is mm-hmm. one thing. I like your distinction between talking about Jesus and then this is who Jesus really was and actually going and doing it. The running shoe analogy works here again. But I don't think that you can just say that, for instance, 
they put money into lights, they put money into marketing and blah, 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 and say that that means you don't have a priority for the poor. I think there is a balance that you can strike there. Attention, maybe, is a better word that you live in. Because, for instance, our church, right? We just built this beautiful new sanctuary, our permanent sanctuary. It was not inexpensive, right? And That's one way we, of putting it. we get a lot of people who say that. You've heard it. Mm-hmm. I've heard it. I mean, we were in a conversation with a, a guy in a, in a coffee shop that was like, asked us just point blank. Well, if you really care about poor people and compassion, why would you build this giant building? You know, and I don't think this is just a, um, a, a spin of a narrative, right? I really do think, for instance, if people could see that what this is doing is is allowing for folks to come a, a a larger amount of people to come into our faith community if our priority for the poor is there that, then we have more people serving the poor as a result of the expansion of a building so i don't i don't want it to say like that's a that's a for some maybe that is an excuse yeah we have this beautiful building so that more people come and then nobody really comes but in our case i mean we're seeing new people every week explore our church because of a sanctuary and i'm not saying that's a church marketing strategy or even an evangelism strategy i'm just simply saying the sheer basics of it is if you have more people and you have that priority you have the opportunity for more people to live into that priority mm-hmm. so i but don't think I, it's as easy as just saying well look at your buildings look at your light show look at your marketing materials and so obviously you don't have a you know priority for the poor it's they're they're not um you can have both i think and people want to go into a church and have a good experience you know if it's if it's not done well you're not going to come back no matter if they have great theology or if they help the poor too i mean most people won't i just think that like you can tell where their priorities are and so these churches i went to they, there was nothing in the bulletin. There was nothing in the lobby. There was nothing that the pastors said about anything about serving people. And so I would say one of the things I'm proud of for the church we work for, you know, and not to, yeah. not, there's a lot of things that aren't perfect. Right. But man, like when, I, when Pastor Adam talks about serving people, I mean, he talks about it a lot. We have a missions booth every single Sunday with people standing by it and opportunities to sign up. Yeah. Multiple times a year, we, we utilize hundreds or thousands of people to serve in different places around the city. Like, you can tell that part of our identity is about, part of our vision and mission is about serving people, like, outside of the church. And that, that's not to pat us in the back. And there are other churches like that, and I love that. Like, the last church I worked for, they had a reading program. That was their big thing. Yeah. They wanted to get every kid in St. Louis to have, like, a reading coach who needed it. And that was that was huge. It was huge, and people were bought into it, and they talked about it because they cared for those kids. They wanted to help fight the cycle of poverty, and part of that is can you read? Can you get an education? So that's what I mean. It's like, when, but yeah. when churches are just about like how can we get more people and and their butts on the in the chairs, and that's like where the story ends. And that's yeah. I think well, that's where the that's point of this article problem. is. And I, it's, it's not compelling. But when I asked you the question, is this something you, you hear a lot, you said or agree with, you said 100%. I, again, this isn't necessarily about the, way, the reasons or the ways the church is failing. It's also about the way that culture views the church, a culture that's yeah. not already connected to faith. 
in a faith community. So we're not we're not just trying to rip on churches, and we're not just trying to show that this is broken. And uh, yeah, this has been broken for a long, long time, right? I mean, but what we can say is that if that is a if that is a showstopper, so to speak, or that is a reason why people aren't going to come to church or come back to church, then maybe we should talk about it a little bit more. But only if, to your point about, you know, the reality of vision statements, only if it actually is something we're going to do, uh, because they'll sniff that out quickly, too. And, and uh, I, I want to go on to the next one because it ties in. And that okay. is and we may just spend maybe even a shorter amount of time on this one. But uh, there's a distrust and mis- misallocation of resources. I think this kind of goes yeah. hand in hand in what we were just discussing. And then we'll jump back and uh, talk about another one. But do you feel like that's something that the church, that young adults are looking at the church at and saying, you know what, man, they just, they don't know how to use their resources or they, uh, you know, inappropriately use resources or whatever. Do you, do you find that? Are you in conversations with people who bring that up a lot? I don't personally have a lot of conversations about it, honestly. I have some people who say, well, you know, I give a lot of my time, so I don't give my money. You know, I've, heard, I've had that conversation. Uh, so I can share my personal perspective is, you know, I tithe, but it's taken me a long time to get there. I don't come from a family who tithes. I, um, you know, I've seen the, how the sausage is made. I know where money gets spent. I know churches aren't efficient. You know, I think nonprofits are probably more efficient in a lot of ways you know, and so I feel like a lot of people are more comfortable in giving. You see, you see statistics say that people in the South, in the Bible Belt, give more ultimately, but they give more mostly to church and religious organizations. Where people outside of the Bible Belt give generously, not as generously as in the South, but they don't give to churches. They give to, you know, organizations that, you know, global nonprofits, different things like that. So I find that part of the part of me that gets frustrated is the efficiency part. Like, if I'm going to give this money away, like I could do something with this money. The question is not, um, should I give my money away? If you have enough, I think a lot of people feel passionate about helping at big causes. And, you know, the burlap segmentation data shows that, too. There's a big segment of millennials who want to make a difference, and that giving money is one way to do that. But the question is, like, is it actually doing any good? And that's where I, that's why I'm assuming you're saying this ties into the last one, is I want to actually make sure this does something. You know, there's some churches that are just kind of like bloated and comfortable, and I feel like there's not an urgency to use this. this They think it's their money instead of realizing this is money that people have given because they believe God is going to use it for something. And there's a weight to that, right? There's like, there's that, that's, that's a heaviness to that, like responsibility that comes with that. And some churches don't. You know, I had a professor in undergrad say um, he had us all go to the churches we attended, and he said, I want you to get a budget. I want you to get some financial numbers. And he said, 90% of you won't be able to. And we all kind of laughed at him, and he's like, I'm serious. And we we all brought, we did our homework, and we came back, and less than, you know, less than 10% of the class was able to get financial numbers from churches. And so he, I mean, he he was a pastor and a, and, a, and a professor who was saying there's not a lot of transparency with money. There's a lot of churches that aren't using this stuff well. So that makes the stereotype even worse, right? I think that's why this article is saying there is a lot of distrust, and some of it's you know should be there. Well, let's go on to the next one. Um, well, that's depressing. No, be yeah, transparent I mean, with your finances. <laughs> Use people's money well. Yeah, I mean, God's it's stewardship, well. right? It's God's money, and I I think that's point well taken. Uh, how about this one? Again, we're talking about 12 reasons why millennials are over the church. We're bouncing around we're like an article a little four. bit. You know? uh, but we're tired of you blaming the culture. So this, I guess, is millennials, young adults, are tired of the church blaming culture. 
Um, I I don't find this one a lot. I find, you know, like, you know, yeah, like churches will sometimes talk about well, how, you know, how bad culture is maybe in a fundamentalist background or, you know, but I don't, I don't see this a lot. In fact, I see this opening up more and more all the time. I think, uh, I think from my perspective, again, I'm not a young adult, right? But I, I speak to a lot of them and I speak to a lot of churches who are trying to reach and engage them. I don't, I don't necessarily know if there's enough young adults around the church to even know what we're blaming or not blaming. <laughs> mm. So like for me, I don't see it as a big one because I think they just, they don't know. And so they're like, well, I don't know what you're talking about because I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. That's my perspective yeah. on it. So, so I have just two thoughts on this one real quick. First of all, I love the example here that, that she writes. It says, she says some, some people say the world is going to pot faster than the state. Oh, he. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So uh, he says, the world is going to pot faster than the state of Colorado. <laughs> oh, right. That's, that's funny. It is funny. Um, so, uh, you know, I think, um, I think churches like to blame someone for the reason that there's not young people, you know, and blaming culture is an easy, you know, easy target. Well, culture is the reason that we don't have young adults in our congregation. You know, it's just, it's, it's coping. It's saying, you know, like I have anxiety about the fact that my church isn't getting younger, that we're getting older. We don't know why we don't know what to do. So culture, right. It makes us, it makes us feel a little better. Uh, secondly, there is some truth to this. Like culture is changing things. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I see young Gen Z, especially, I see them having a focus on social justice and on human dignity and life. And that's, you should be proud of these young kids who are like, thinking about human life and how we can respect people and love people. That's a great generational, you know, value to have. Um, but I was at the arcade the other day and this is, this is like a silly confession. I was playing this game. That's basically a arcade dancing game. And I'm in my thirties, I'm in my early thirties. Right. So like I'm, I'm a little out, but there's some of these like high school or 20 young 20 something kids. And there's this guy there and he was wearing a flower in his hair and he had a dress on. And I was, and I was just thinking like, huh, for this dude, he's not trying to make a statement. He's not trying to stir the pot. This is, he just, him and his friends just have like different gender kind of norms. And I just, I kind of put myself in his shoes for a second and I was thinking, it's so fascinating that he's trying to figure out this world too and trying to figure out, you know, what, what it looks like f- to be him in this day and age. And, um, you know, and it just, I felt like God was impressing on me to have like compassion on him and on this generation who's going to have to figure all this stuff out. Right. And, um, and I, you know, I, I got to, I, I felt like God love this guy who's maybe not going to be understood by a 70 year old guy who like fought in world war two, who's going to look at this kid with a dress on and a flower in his hair and just think, Oh, you know, what's happening to this generation. But it would be awesome if he was at the arcade though. It would be if he was dancing with the kid. (laughs) Okay. Uh, let's, let's go on to what's number nine on this list. 12 reasons millennials are over the church. Again, it's from recklesslyalive.com. Again, just want to say it's not a promotion or endorsement of the site. It's just simply where we found this source to be as we tracked it down via people who shared it with us. Number nine, we want you to talk to us about controversial issues because no one is. What are your thoughts on that one, Chris? Um, and I think this is an easy win, honestly. We just had, um, this last weekend, our senior pastor taught on suicide. We had some suicides in the larger congregation and friends and family of people in our congregation. And it was, I mean, it was a packed Sunday for 
the middle of summer. I mean, it was packed. And I think that's one example. You know, people think, you know, why would I teach on something like that? Because it's real and because it impacts people's lives. And if you can approach, and what happens sometimes is people talk about, the only people talking about controversial issues are the jerks. Like people who have just terrible things to say. And there needs to be, I think, a revival of people who know how to artfully uh, and dig, with dignity be able to talk about controversial issues. And that's something that has propelled our senior, fast, uh, senior pastor to, um, to have a big church and to be known, with, for, at least in Methodism, around the world. Um, so, I mean, that's one take. I think it's an easy win for pastors. But again, if you're not in a place where you can talk with dignity about controversial issues, then maybe you're doing the right thing to not talk about them because it will just push millennials even further away. Yeah, I think, right, like you're looking at it from, not you, but people in general are looking at it from the perspective of, well, you're just talking about this because it is controversial and that brings some attention to you, right? That's one side of the spectrum. The other side is you never talk about it because you're afraid to talk about it. Mm -hmm. There's probably a whole lot of people in the middle who are just trying to figure out like, what are the best ways to talk about these controversial things? Or maybe there's people who haven't quite yet made up their mind. I think the point that I would like to make as it relates to this is controversial issues and talking about them is it's okay to say, here's my current thinking on this. I might not be right. Mm -hmm. I might, 10 days from now, have a different perspective. I think this is the point of what really is being expected of faith communities is that we become places where actual conversations about real life things can happen and people can change their mind. Now, I do understand that when you publicly make a statement, especially in today's technological yep, world, sound bites. it's out there, people can misinterpret it. You know, I think the, the most recent thing that comes to my mind is Eugene Peterson's statement that came oh, out yesterday. Oh, man. Right? I mean, he's talking about controversial things. Look what people do to him immediately. He's either a hero or he's a goat. Right. Yep. It's like, well, Lifeway is going to stop selling his books. That's what I heard. I mean, I I read that somewhere. I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe it is. I, I all I know is that like I'm that I think that I'm using his recent statement to about homosexuality in the church to make my point, which is some people will just be so afraid of what that will bring upon them from a judgment perspective, yeah. or from that they won't talk about it, and people with big platforms or any platform really yeah. should talk about it and they should simply feel the freedom to say, here's my current thinking on it. Yeah. I mean, I love when someone says, here's how my thinking has evolved. Here's how my opinion or my belief has evolved. Uh, whatever the subject is, right? So like I used to think this, but then I had this experience and it made me think this and now I wonder about this. I am so fine with words like wonder and I think and maybe. Why is it that we feel the necessity to have to say words like, like, here, here it is, or because of this, it must be true? And it's like, why do we have to make such dogmatic statements? Why can't we just have conversation and go, here's what I'm thinking right now? Like, I feel like that would have much more of a, uh, a compelling, imaginative way to reach and engage millennials, not as an agenda right. or a trick to do so. Like, don't get up there and say, well, I'm thinking this and I haven't really figured out if you really have. You're just saying it. Just going through But the at the same time, I'm like, man, how refreshing is it when someone says, you know, I just don't know. I'm really battling with it. 
I'm struggling with my decision on it. Whatever the topic is, like I just find that maybe I'm in the minority on that, but I just find that super refreshing. Like here's here's a person that's going, whatever you think of me, I hope you leave knowing that I haven't made up my mind on this because I'm still sorting it out. Like that's just to me, that's a sweet spot, man. I don't know. What do you think? I think humility is a really attractive quality. And that's all I have to add. I think you nailed it. Okay. Well, I don't know about nailing it, but let's move on. We got one more I want to talk about, and then we'll finish up this podcast. Um, and I like this one. This was number 11 on the list. 12 Reasons Millennials Are Over the Church, number 11. We've bounced around a little bit, so we haven't followed in order. So if you're listening to this and trying to final, follow along with the article, you're probably you know, a little bit uh, off here. But number 11, stop talking about us unless you're actually going to do something. This is why Burlap exists, right? This is the whole point. Burlap, I created Burlap in 2015 because I was tired of everyone talking about millennials and not doing something about it, right? So I'm not the only one out there doing stuff. I mean, there's great organizations doing great things. I think of the growing younger folks out of Fuller. Kara Powell's a friend of mine and those guys. I just, what they're doing is exceptional. I love it, right? I'm one organization uh, trying to do this, right? But I... My reason for doing it was I'm tired of people, whether it was stereotypes or just uh, uninformed statements, ignorance, saying things, and, and creating almost a, uh, hey, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of a negative spin on this generation. Because I'm mm -hmm. like, and any generation, I mean, I, I don't want people talking about me that way, right? I, I mean... I'm an Xer, but like I, I remember when Xers were younger, when we were <laughs> all younger, and people would say, "Oh, this is true about Xers," and Xers wanted this, and Xers wanted that. I was like, "Wait a minute, have you ever sat down, talked to anybody about it?" And don't just talk about us. Like, let's actually do something. And so, Burlap was started to help churches very simply reach and engage millennials. We do it in four ways: uh, research, training, products, and and. Um, I always forget the last one. It's my own company. Three and a Re half. Research, <laughs> training, products, consulting. There, there it is. Go. Which kind of is training uh, to some degree. But anyways, so stop talking about us unless you're actually going to do something. Um, what do you think about that one? I love it. I think this is a human thing, right? That we, If we can talk about something, then we don't have to act on it. This is – I saw I, – somebody was telling me about a denomination – who um, doesn't really have a church planting wing, doesn't, hasn't really focused on it, and was interested in planting a church for young adults. And they met for years. They didn't get funding. They didn't find the right leader. They still haven't launched it, but they've had meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting about it because meetings make you feel like you're accomplishing something. I think we actually have an article like that on the Burlap uh, website, but I think that's the same thing. Is like if by talking about people, it makes you feel like you've actually taken a step towards it. And maybe there is a place for you know adapting your thinking and actually getting there. But I think the challenge most people have is just taking those first steps and actually doing it. You know, we've talked about a couple of podcasts ago. We talked about the twenty mile march. You know, you do not get up a mountain. You do not run a marathon without doing every step of the way, each little step. Right. And if you're interested in, and you, sh and you should be, and for the survival of your church and your community, you should be interested in reaching other generations, not because millennials are anything special, but because 
that's how life works is we age, we die. This is the way God has designed life is that we have to, we have to reach out to the generation behind us. And, uh, I'm going to have to be doing that with Gen Z soon. And, um, and, and there, it requires some humility and it requires adapting. It requires actually doing it. And so um, if you want to do that marathon of reaching young adults, of growing a community of young adults in your church, then you need to be focusing on, all right, what's the next step? And what's the next step? And what's the next step? Right? And then a mile passes and then two miles and you might get to your goal. Always evaluating, always looking at yes. it, always experimenting. Try something, see if it works, that kind of concept. Well, mm-hmm. if I were to rephrase number 11... It's not my article, so I'm taking going out on a limb here, taking the liberty. I'd Sorry, say, Sam. I'd say stop talking about us and start talking with us, Ooh. which leads us back to the very first thing we talked about with listening and actually having healthy conversations. You know, I don't want the church to stop talking about millennials because I think it's important in Generation Z as well. You know what I found lately, Chris, is that people are like, well, we've, we, you know, we, we, we already missed the boat on millennials. Yeah. So, like, let's just talk about Gen Z. Maybe we can get ahead of Gen Z. And I'm like, well, really? I mean, do we really want to stop talking about millennials and start talking about Gen Z? Why don't we have conversations about both of those things, right? Both, both of those mindsets, those generations. It's so funny to me. It's like, well, that's old, man. Everybody's done talking about millennials. Let's, like, talk about Gen Z because that's, that's where we're headed. And it's like, wait a minute. You do realize that there are still very young millennials mm-hmm. in your community that might have a Gen Z mindset, Gen Z people who might have a millennial mindset. If you stop talking about it, then what have you done except to say, well, forget that generation. We missed that one. Our bad. Like, let's move on. Let's start talking about Generation Z. Or as my friend Tom in Toronto said yesterday on the phone, Generation Z, right? Because I always forget that's what Z is up in Canada and my friends in Australia and New Zealand. Z. So Gen Z, whatever that is, Is that what they call it? Gen 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 Z. Z. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I know. Isn't that cool? It's way better than Gen Z. I like it better. Gen Z. Gen Z. Anyway, so... Here's the deal, man, and let's just close this podcast by saying we don't want you to stop talking about it, about millennials and and Generation Z. We want you to start talking with those generations and those mindsets that represent those generations, of course, and we want to help you do that. We want to actually help you put a strategy in place that helps you reach and engage millennials. This is why we go around North America doing our training. This is why we write books. This is why we put the e-books out there and have blog posts. We want to assist you. So... I'll just close by saying if there's any way that Burlap can help you, please reach out to us. We'd be thrilled to do it. Uh, Obviously, like uh, any organization, we have multiple responsibilities. We're already helping a lot of people, but we want to try to figure out how we can best represent uh, ourselves to you. And sometimes that means we, we, we say, hey, go work with this organization. They're closer to you and they, you know, they connect with you or this person. But thinkburlap.com is the best way to kind of just start navigating how to get a hold of us. And again, this podcast, 12 Reasons Millennials Over the Church, we didn't hit on all 12, but we will post the article and make sure that there's an opportunity for you to glance at that as well. So thanks for listening. Uh, Until next time, take care.